Oh yeah, we totally weren't recording. It somehow like turned off at some point. Oh, it's probably because I said Bujalud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we are recording, so it picked up that. <laughs> So we'll just start over. I won't here. say it. I won't say it again. Yeah, yeah, definitely don't say it. Again. Uh, yeah, people will just have to like. We're not going to explain it this time, so people will just have to like Google it. <laughs> they can. They can yeah. crash their own computers. So yeah, we were talking about uh, Venus and different signs and what we like and what we don't like and um and how it's like kind of hot when it's in detriment, but um. And then we were talking about um, psychedelic Sundays and like using the Uranus and Taurus to like kind of and Saturn and Capricorn to kind of schedule in ecstatic experiences and then just kind of catching up to speed in case the previous recording did like cut somewhere that made sense. But maybe sure. just jump right into um, into like some poetry. Did you have anything picked out that you wanted to read? Yeah, um, I would love to share some poets that I think really just exemplify kind of what poetry is to me. Um, just because it is such a can you still can you still hear me all right? Yeah. All right. Um, sorry about that. Kind of loud. Um, yeah. I mean, it is just such a rich. Um, it's like a rich but punishing practice. I think it's sort of like it's a bit harder to sit down and read something that demands your attention in this like particular way than it is maybe to like listen to music sometimes or to go look at a painting. And I think, um, but it also just has this, this rich tradition of being, um, really connected with, um, kind of song and the, um, this tradition of verse and, and storytelling. Um, and I like, the way that it relates to the occult. So, um, yeah, I picked out some work from Ariana Raines, um, who is a contemporary poet that I really like. Um, and she is, she has an interest in, um, astrology. She's also very, um, she's also very, I mean, her voice isn't necessarily, she's not an occult voice, I wouldn't say, but these kind of elements uh, intersect with her work a lot and so I just thought I would share a poem that I like a lot by hers um, let me find that yeah I was surprised to um, see that she was contemporary when you had sent me some of her work and some other poems and there was some some Baudelaire and then there was some um, Reed Dragonette and, and um, Arlene Sikowski yeah. and then I looked up Ariana Reigns, and it's like, oh, wow, this is like right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll read this poem of hers called Salt. Nicolas Flamel is a street in Paris near the quarter of the gays and the Jews, but of course, Nicolas Flamel was, too, a man. One day in the 14th century, he bought a book whose pages were dark. Its author, Abraham the Jew, had been dispersed, as he wrote, through God's wrath into Gaul. Yesterday on the bus, I passed a mall in New Jersey. I dreamed of the dreams it stands there for. To help me dream, I purchase and steal, exchange a lifetime of tears for one second of grace. Say what I say when my heart is fear. 
The Bark book bought by Nicholas Flamel was acquired by him at a low price secondhand. It was full of hieroglyphs he firstly longed and secondly strove to understand. A humble notary, his mind and the mind of his beloved wife, Paranel, were drawn to the needle's eye of mystery and out the other side. But what alchemy the two became wealthy and with their wealth enacted a grand philanthropy is both known to us and not. But the sweetness of Nicholas and Paranel survives their doings like a charm. Abraham the Jew, not to be confused with the biblical Abraham, though not necessarily unrelated to him, advocated the transmutation of base metals into gold as an expedient to avoid ruin by the taxmen of imperial Rome. Debt has a way of contriving mysteries. Allegory, likewise, pricks me in my bad feelings and in my practicalities, too, if I even have any. I am high and low, but change the bad for the true as I can. I lie to myself to tell you the truth, is one of the lies I tell to myself that is also a key to my secret wealth. Nicholas and Parnell did what they did hermaphroditically, occluding their money in the secrets of a living city that began to hide its past in the 19th century. I cannot know what you are, whom I could not also possibly be. There is more to it than that, but I mostly suck what sucks me. Um, yeah, yeah that, I really, I really love that poem. It's from her book Mercury, um, and it is super. Uh, there's a lot of variation in terms of what she's writing about and how she's writing, and it's a special book. So, yeah, there's so much in there in that one poem. It made a lot more sense to me um, hearing you read it than reading it myself. When um, I just like. There's such a difference in reading poetry. Prosody, yeah. No, I mean, I feel like poetry completely changed to me when I started reading it out loud, and I don't really feel like I became a writer until I started reading my own work out loud and hearing how it sounds. Um, and I think that's like what, I mean, that's what I think is so powerful about poetry. I mean, we live in such a weird culture and a weird time that doesn't really respect the written word and... I mean, it's not that there isn't respect. Of course there is. Like, there are these, like, legendary writers. But I don't think that people are viewing... Um, I mean, it's a challenge to read. It's a challenge for me to read. I constantly have to turn myself off from distractions. And I'm very distractible. Like, I love doing so many things at once. And I think something about poetry that I like is that you can read one poem and then stop. Um, but I also like that you have to pay attention really a lot to that one poem that you're reading. So it's like an interesting, it's an interesting kind of thing. But I think really like that storytelling tradition or these like, you know, poetic eddas and, and stories like Beowulf or the Odyssey, it's like very like, you know, those are such magical texts and poetry has the power to kind of preserve history and magic in verse and sound. Yeah, for sure. I I wonder, you know, it's obviously my my personal dream that poetry gets um, reinstated into like the central status that it deserves in culture, rather than just being seen as like a flamboyancy, you know, like a whimsy. Like, but yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, it's kind of weird to talk about sometimes too, because I mean, yeah, it's you and I were saying this. Like, I think of Crowley first as a poet, and I. I mean, not really, like, first, but I love his poetry best. Like, he he really has this beautiful sense of how to use text in order to touch these mysteries. And, 
when I read any of his invocations or hymns or, um, you know, the rites of Eleusis or something like that, it's like the 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 text has such a big part of what what's going on, and it's not just trying to sound high and heavy. It's really just kind of tapping into language as a tool and sort of, you know, I mean, which is what really, you know, languages like Sanskrit or Hebrew do kind of naturally, but using using English to sort of tap into mysteries when it's not necessarily this, this language of mystery. Yeah, um, totally. I totally agree. But cool. Yeah it's, yeah, it's really like lubricated, like his way of his way of like laying out words. Like I, after I read um, Jake Stratton Kent's Goetic Liturgy, I, I'd never used any um, any Thelemic stuff in in my work, mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna give this a try. Like the uh, Liber Pyramido stuff, right? The opening and ceiling of the pyramid, and it's it's just yeah. the, so beautifully composed, and the involvement of the Eucharist at the altar is so great, you know. Like, and definitely, I definitely got yeah results, you know that. I that I was surprised with that I was just like, oh, this doesn't just work as an opening, like to get you in the right frame of mind. Like what is operable about his magic has a lot to do with the play on words and the poetry itself, mm -hmm. how, how it lubricates, yeah. like in a way that kind of like monastic Solomonic invocation might not. And it'd be almost like worth rewriting some of the like the um the the other invocations you find throughout the grimoires to make more poetic sense i feel like definitely i mean yeah it's it's fascinating because i mean i think a lot of people myself included sort of resist the lima and i mean i know i've talked to you about this but it's it's really amazing like i mean it's been really amazing kind of getting to know people that are um, in the OTO without kind of necessarily joining myself just because I have so much respect for it but really just the the kind of diversity of the people involved is really special and um, you know kind of dipping a toe in is great it's great for me right now but it's it's really like it's something that I feel you know similarly to you it was never really a part of my kind of regular practice um, but there are certain certain elements that I've um kind of invited in and but for the most part it always is you know it remains like i use his poetry a lot or i like to recite it to certain spirits or deities um just because it's beautiful and it's just so um i mean i just can't think of something that has more kind of i mean yeah like the hymn to pan is an incredible piece that is pan is alive in that poem and the invocation of Hecate is really also just such a lovely love poem, too. There's a really good version of um, someone reading the hymn to Pan on YouTube, if you look it up. Oh, my God, I saw it before because I was originally looking to see if he if he had recorded it at all. Yeah. If, um, if he had ever kind of done an audio recording. But there is a really, I thought it was pretty funny, but I also adored it, just that that guy who is super jazzed super <laughs> jazzed yeah he's like just screaming. <laughs> yeah he's like he's there but yeah I love it's it. amazing yeah how it like you know it's like crowley and then current 93 immediately of course just springing out of like um crowley's like voice and his like way of working with words which kind of has this almost like 
at times it's almost this funny kind of like there once was a man from Nantucket kind of rhyme schemes. You know? Yeah, sometimes. Totally, totally. Which is probably. Yeah, and like, I love. Like, I love that. Or something, you know. I mean, it is hard to write a rhyming poem that doesn't sound corny. Like I have done a lot of kind of, I guess, um, I mean, a cult in the sense of <laughs> it's secret and nobody's ever going to read it kind of writing of just like these, um, I mean, you know, kind of similar like verse sort of invocations um, to different spirits. And it really is like it's special, um, but it's it's sort of weird because you can feel sometimes like you are, um, I think sometimes when you rhyme, you really feel like you're almost like miming the values of another era or something like that. But yeah, again, yeah. That, that, yeah. that the rhymes do also have this special power as well. No, I love the rhyming. I love rhyming and alliteration and just that, like just making language play instead. And I mean, they, they think now that that's, we talked about this with Eli, but that um, language was abstract first and poetical first before it was ever technical. And that's, there's actually something that, um, I was listening to, I made a note about, um, about Arlene Sikowski, um, after you had sent some of her poems that I read that mm -hmm. was great that like both her and, um, that two of the poets you sent were like talking about iron, you know, in some of the yeah, work, yeah. other work, but I heard an interview with her from the eighties where she's talking about like, as language became more regulated, um, we lost a lot of the magic and a lot of the like operable mm -hmm. like ability. And she pointed out how like in Shakespeare, he'll just like whenever he wants use a noun as a verb or vice versa, you know, like. Um, yeah, please send me that interview. I haven't seen it. Um, the way that I came upon this book was so strange. I um, I found it in a library and I think that she was a local writer and it was just there because of that. And um I just, there are like no copies of this book online. There were like three. So I bought this signed copy because I, I just read it at this library in Portland, Oregon, um, you know, years ago. And it's one of the most, I haven't read anything else by her. This book is the bomb. Um, and yeah, I haven't ever seen that interview. So that's really cool. Yeah, it's like she's, a I mean, her, her interesting language, her way of writing, it's just super weird yeah her language is really weird also like um the other poet that talked about iron that whose language lola ridge yeah her 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 language really impressed me it was like really like, i would love to read her out loud if you don't mind yeah yeah just please because yeah. i think it's a treat to to kind of hear but she um so this book it's called the ghetto and other poems um my friend matt Wynn, who owns uh molasses books he reprinted this book um it was first written in 1918 he reprinted it this year in 2018 um it's beautiful he still has copies available through molasses books um but all of these poems are incredible some of them rhyme some of them don't um the story of lola ridge is that she is an uh new york born kind of anarchist poet um obviously from 100 years ago she was writing this so she writes a lot about the working class and um, just sort of scenes of the city, but she has this mystical kind of voice. So I would love to share um, her poem, The Legion of Iron. It's like a good poem for Mars retrograde time. So. Mm -hmm. All right. 
the Legion of Iron. They passed through the great iron gates, men with eyes gravely discerning, skilled to appraise the tunage of cranes, or split an inch into thousands. Men tempered by fire as the ore is, and planned to resistance like steel that is cooled in the trough, silent of purpose, inflexible, set to fulfillment, to conquer, withstand, overthrow. Men mannered to large undertakings, knowing force as a brother and power as something to play with, seeing blood as a slip of the iron, to be wiped from the tools lest they rust. But what if they stood aside? Who hold the earth so careless in the crook of their arms? What of the flamboyant cities and the lights guttering out like candles in a wind, and the armies halted, and the trains midway on the mountain, and idle men chaffing across the trenches, and the cursing and lamentation, and the clamor for grain shut in the mills of the world? What if they stayed apart, inscrutably smiling, leaving the ground encumbered with dead wire, and the sea to rowboats, and the lands marooned, till time should like a paralytic sit, a mildewed hulk above the nation's squatting. Yeah, her her poems are amazing. I love the use of language and the way it 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 kind of feels like it like shifts and like it's dense too. I mean, yeah. her words are dense, and I is it's interesting because I don't I don't normally love writing that's so dense but it's like you can feel just the sort of navigation through these spaces the way that she writes yeah totally. and like her language is like you know accomplishing something in that respect so yeah it's it's very visceral <clears throat> and i love her meditations on iron and ore they're they're really like perfect for right now with uranus and in taurus and like the the dis destabilization of materials and materials like shifting and changing like a really good time to kind of just put that in our minds put like poetically and like allow it to like kind of shift around you know and it, i felt like reading that it really spoke to me that she really does that or had that meditation in her life her story is really yeah she she's irish but um lived in she emigrated to new zealand right I don't actually know her like entire story, but just kind of the outline of her her life. So. Yeah, yeah, I read a little bit on on um, on Wikipedia that she was like, you know, like um, moved to the southern hemisphere and then to America, but was fr but is but is from Ireland. She was born in Ireland. Um, yeah, and then Arlene Zakowski, they're like there was nothing really on not much information on her at all but i guess she's still alive i think she's like 96 she's still alive yeah wow, i should write to her yeah i i really um I, there's another poem or another poet um that i really love um who is kind of a similar writer that you can't find any information but like sometimes at a thrift store you'll find a book right totally um, like, and I think, you know, Redragonette, that other poet that I that I showed you, she's also kind of a similar figure. I think she she's just a silly lady. Um, and I've never heard of her and I I saw that book and I bought it based on the title and I was like, you know, she's writing about John Cage and just like, you know, kind of like movement and sound in these weird ways, but it's also sort of 
she's writing about astrology and she's writing about like romance and I was like wow this is really good and I've never heard of her I kind of tried to read about her not a lot of information so those kind of writers are always really interesting yeah I saw that she did like a collaboration with Eric Dolphy and he did he ended up even doing some pieces that were inspired by her that don't have any poetry over them at all but it's just like they're birthed from her poems but they did like a record together where she reads poems and he plays but um i looked on youtube and it's like not on there or at least in my like man yeah i gotta try to track that down i was like no way that's like that obscurity that like it's like this classic like the obscurity of poets you know (laughs) like like how you said yeah i mean it's interesting because that book has a it has a like it has some praise by anais nin on the back but (laughs) Yeah, right. I don't know how this woman never got out because she's she's great. So, yeah, I think like tying it back into starting with talking about Crowley and just like how mm-hmm. it's really important. I feel like for um, especially grimoire magicians, right? Um, that to realize that they're interacting with <clears throat> with literature actively and like with poetry actively you know that it's not they're not just like pulling the information out of books like it's like you're literally stepping into literature as like a dimension you know and like that like understanding the poetics and and getting really saturated in like the wordplay um is just like maybe kind of a next step like it's really important for the occult community to like literaturize themselves you know yeah, I mean, I had the realization this year, just two months ago, um, that I really want to go back to school. And it's weird because I didn't like school, actually. Um, I mean, you know, I did like elements of school. Like, I loved certain classes a lot. But, of course, it's like if you're doing your undergraduate education, you're not really, like, necessarily focusing on what you would love to focus on all the time mm-hmm. um and i i studied something more in the realm of art theory but i really was like wow i totally want to go to graduate school and study um like ancient greek art history and sort of literature um which is kind of my next thing that i'm sort of working on but i think it's really just that when you i mean I don't know. It's like, you know, I've been to the Metropolitan Museum a million times um, throughout my life and I've seen seen art a million times in my life, but it's just being on this sort of path of of this this kind of magical life and, and interacting with these spirits and these beings and having this obsession with astrology and the planets and um, these different deities. It's really like it starts to take on this other dimension where kind of life becomes mythological and you want to like devote yourself to something through you know writing and learning and sort of the poetic universe so yeah totally I've been thinking the exact same thing and it's it's interesting like that it's like the it's it becomes a whole dimension that you can just like keep filling up you know and we talked before about like I think in the previous conversation about that like Christianity or or like the um class the classes or capitalist elements of fashion are a whole paradigm in themselves and they're like a big um object like a they have like a lot of resonance but that like your own activity and your own your own like that dimension that you create through the work like you can just like you can totally just like 
fire hose that with 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 like mythology that you're living but also that you're collecting like it's and that becomes like a big object you know and that's definitely kind of like that's the great work part of the work you know what i mean like uh yeah yeah rather than just like the results but that but that's funny that it's like it that's almost like a side effect of just doing the practical enchantment you know <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, and it's interesting how the more that you kind of enter into that universe, the more it sort of claims you and you're like, oh, like, now I just want to spend all my time worshipping Hermes yeah, yeah, <laughs> something right. like that. Yeah. Like, it's very, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a different, it's a different, I mean, you know, it's, it's so I was raised by an Egyptologist, um, but he is very much an academic, and I think he he had a real interest in the occult when he was a younger person, um, you know. And I got into it through him. He he gave me my first deck of tarot cards and some books by um, White, and um, just some some kind of like put me on that path. But he's also he's I mean he's basically an Episcopalian kind of mystic type now. But he really was like I mean he really approached. Egypt and an ancient culture in general through this academic lens. So it never was, um, I mean, I think in my family in a certain way, it was sort of frowned upon to sort of see mythology as true um, mm, yeah. in the sense that I do. And, and so it's interesting to kind of come back around like my whole life, you know, I might go to a museum and I see some kind of um, statue of Hecate and it's beautiful. And I see it as this, you know, relic of history and this art object from the ancient Greeks. And, and now seeing these things, it's just incredible to look at them. And you're like, this is a living artifact. This has spiritual presence um, and just sort of mythologic presence and, and really like having, you know, this, this relationship with her as I do and sort of um, these, these different, you know, maybe seeing Pan, who is someone that I, you know, invoke often. <laughs> um, it's just like, it's just a different thing. And you really start to feel like, like history hasn't died in the same way that you do. And, you know, if you're just looking at things through a purely academic lens, it's like a different, it's not as like, as lifelike, I guess. Yeah, it's weird to like see them presented in a museum rather than a temple. But some of the statues you're looking at actually had someone in spirit them at some point. And so it's really interesting that you could be wandering down the street in New York and like eat a falafel out of a cart and then just wander into the museum and like be in the presence. It's powerful. Of, uh, I mean, it's you know? so, so powerful. And I love museums. I used to hate them. I mean, I don't love all museums, but I used to hate this like fucked up classist element of the museum that's just like you know like you charge at the door but it's like I mean at the Met it's pay what you want you can pay a, a penny and like it's you know it's so crowded but I kind of love how crowded it is because it's just like everybody and their mother is here to look at this and um and that art is sometimes magical and and just like the power of mythology is that it really changes your consciousness once you're exposed to it regardless of your own kind of beliefs about it yeah certainly um i was really i definitely want to get to talking about the saints how we had mentioned and saint Augustine. oh yeah 
Because there's a definite, like, it ties in with what we're saying about, I was thinking about how it ties in with poetry and and Crowley as a poet and how that, like, is, like, kind of, like, the right elixir for people to, to drink to start letting him back into the conversation. People who just want to push the Lima out, you're like, well, he's a great poet. And that actually, and then, like, the second part of that is, like, and that's actually what makes magic work in a way, you know, is. That yeah, yeah. St. Augustine like has like a real um bibliomantic kind of hagi hagiography. Yeah, no, and I think I mean I was I was telling you this, I think like St. Augustine is kind of my Saint Cyprian. Like I think of him as this sort of um I mean because you know like the story of Saint Cyprian is that he converted um because of his love and like I mean, yes, his love for God, but also his his worldly love, um, who's also a saint. But it's it's um, so it's not like Saint Cyprian is this guy who was sainted and and kept on with his magical practice. Um, and it's similar with with Saint Augustine. I think he's he's interesting because people, I mean, people kind of think of him as a pagan in the sense of his like Manichaean origin and his interest in in that religion um but he was really this strange dualistic man who was very much into pleasure and hedonism and sorcery really and um and he waited a long time to be done with it um he his famous quote is grant me um grant me chastity but not yet um yeah 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 the loose translation so um he i mean yeah he he really lived a full life he really was invested in um astrology and in manichaeanism and you know eventually he came to decry astrology as literally demonic um but he still he his his entire kind of spiritual background is so present in his work um especially i think his confessions which is probably honestly if i had to name a favorite book um that might be it um just because it is like the first it is the first autobiography as we see it today um and it just contains so much pathos and so much so much that is so relatable even though this is someone who lived just after christ and it's so long ago but his spiritual longing is so palpable and his kind of transition from being this sort of more selfish person and more kind of material materially motivated person to being this saint um it's super super touching and i think even though he did end up kind of uh decrying his his sort of more pagan origin um it's still so present in this sort of mystical these like mystical love letters to God. It almost takes on this sort of quality of Rumi. Um, mm -hmm. I forget there's this passage where he talks about how basically nothing isn't a part of God. And you might think that something is good or evil, but really it's all God. And, and, but it's, it's worded in, I mean, I'll have to try to find this passage. Maybe I'll send it to you a later time, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was just such a profound sort of wording of that that um, sentiment that it's just, yeah, he really, like, he is so informed by his past. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, like, um, 
looked, I reread his entry in the golden legend and was kind of, it's long. It's one of the longer ones. And because it's very much informed by confessions. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot in there, but, um, and I was thinking about him as a patron saint of a magical practice and how that could operate. And like, you know, like it's not like when they say with Cyprian, like some of the versions of it are that like, oh, he actually didn't stop practicing magic. He just like mm -hmm. did it on the slide and helped out mm -hmm. the congregation. But then I was looking at St. Augustine and be like, well, what did he do after he converted? Like, how do you how is it useful uh, just practically? And I was like, well, he was like in an like a pretty hardcore ascetic, you know, like it was like the second phase yeah. of life is like extreme uh, temperance and fasting. And like, um, so he'd be really good to work for like quitting habits mm -hmm. or like if you're fasting, like invoking for a disinterest in food and drink or like there's this one part that he talks about, like uh, he confesses to God for uh, taking pleasure in watching a dog run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like other stuff like that, where it's like he got some pleasure from just like seeing this cute dog. And he just was like, I have to go to confession. That was too good. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, he's such a strange man. I mean, but that moment of his conversion in the garden is honestly, it's like, to me, just so it's just such a beautiful moment like I don't know it's weird because I kind of you know I hate anti-paganism in Christianity <laughs> in some sense but I love his conversion I think it's like truly like I don't know I mean it just was his path he just completely he was kind of this magical guy but it wasn't really bringing him to God and then he he converted and he found that connection through giving things up and through devoting himself yeah to totally yeah yeah it's definitely like that just, he needed that like weird i mean and totally it's, and it's, it's, you it's know what for you as like a, a capricorn first house person <laughs> <laughs> well it's also just so strange because it's like what ultimately like drew him to confess too it's such a strange idea of him yeah just, he's like all right like i don't know if maybe he felt like an underdog and he didn't feel like he deserved his place in the church and he was like here's my conversion here's what a bad guy i used to be i don't know it's always been such a mystery to me um like is he bragging is he um you know what is he he's like um agonizes over that too like being so extreme but then being like but i don't want like to um i don't want to like be famous for like these acts or i don't want any recognition you know, I don't want you to be like, oh, he's so amazing because he's being so extreme. Like, he's kind of, like, afraid of that occurring, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of stuff I picked out that would I saw would be kind of cool for working magically with St. Augustine. Um, one mm -hmm. was, like, um, St. Bernard, um, when he was still alive, like, like, prayed to him and received a vision of, like, um, just like torrents of water pouring out of his mouth and filling the church. And that was like to represent like um, all the knowledge because he was known to be like very knowledgeable. And so that was like a cool kind of visualization that you could use. It's just like this, like, like that fountain of just like knowledge as water, just like exploding out of St. Augustine's mouth, you know? Because <laughs> uh, he was like, he claims that he taught himself Aristotle and that has like, as like a young man, like as like a child essentially. And that has like, mm -hmm. you know, so many grimoires were just labeled Aristotle, like over the years, like, 
so that people like wouldn't get caught, you know, with, with illicit books, you know, so like you can kind of bend it towards that. He also, there's like a, a charm he makes against gossip where at one point where he like carves this charm on like a, um, on a table. So there could be like an Augustinian, like, um, charm against gossip. Love it. Yeah. Like, an. I mean, this is, this is a great passage. Um, if you'd like me to read it that I think could yeah be, yeah could be used in in I mean you're talking about this torrent of tears and sort of giving up a habit so I think I mean this part of his confessions is kind of perfect um the frivolity of frivolous aims the futility of futile pursuits these things that had been my cronies of long standing still held me back plucking softly at my garment of flesh and murmuring in my ears you mean to get rid of us Shall we never be your companions again after that moment? Never, never again. From that time onwards, so-and-so will be forbidden to you all your life long. And what was it that they were reminding me of those words, so-and-so, oh my God, what were they bringing to my mind? May your mercy banish such memories far from me. What foul deeds were they not hinting at? What disgraceful exploits? But now their voices were less than half as loud, for they no longer confronted me directly to argue their case, but muttered behind my back and slyly tweaked me as I walked away, trying to make me look back. Yet they did slow me down, for I could not bring myself to tear free and shake them off and leap across to that place whither I was summoned, while aggressive habits still taunted me. Do you imagine you'll be able to live without those things? But as this deep meditation dredged all my wretchedness up from the secret profundity of my being and heaped it all together before the eyes of my heart, a huge storm blew up within me and brought on a heavy rain of tears. In order to pour them out unchecked with the sobs that accompanied them, I rose and left Olypius, for solitude seemed to me more suitable for the business of weeping. I withdrew far enough to ensure that his presence, even his, would not be burdensome to me. This was my need, and he understood it, for I think I had already risen to my feet and blurted out something, my voice already choked with tears. Many things I had to say to you, and the gist of them, though not the precise, precise words, was, O oh Lord, how long, how long? Will you be angry forever? Do not remember our age-old sins, for by these I was conscious of being held prisoner. I uttered cries of misery. Why must I go on saying, tomorrow, tomorrow? Why not now? Why not put an end to my depravity this very hour? So that's from book eight of the confessions, and it's uh, 26 and 28. But uh, yeah, yeah I just feel like I'm like, wow, that could be amazing to use to give up a habit during this kind of Saturn and Capricorn period. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and the stress on tears you see throughout all his stuff like there one point there's something about curing the sick with like taking oil and mixing it with your tears and then that's what you use to anoint so that you can heal you know like wow that's beautiful so that's another like kind of practical way that you can like work saint augustine magically you know and just as like asking him for more knowledge you know um in general that like i have a confession which is that i'm wearing my saint augustine shirt for the occasion (laughs) (laughs) i have a shirt so yeah i kind of like i mean i've praised him a lot and i kind of like my deal with him is that i talk about him a lot um much like i do with some of the goate experience and like just you know i mean spirits love to be talked about and 
as far as St. Augustine, like, I thoroughly vet his intentions towards humanity. He's just trying to get everybody uh, beyond the things that hold them back, which is mm -hmm. beautiful to me, so. Yeah, and that's, Bonnie, that's part of the thing with St. Martha, too, right? That, like, spreading. The oh, yeah, her feast day was yesterday. Is that correct? Or two yeah. days ago? Yes, it was yesterday. Cool. Um, she Well, Jason Miller said that being that um, St. Martha was a proselytizer, that that would perhaps be a good way to thank her. Um, and I definitely think she appreciates that, but um, she loves gifts too. Just yeah, she, that's my first name, Martha. So yeah. I always liked her and she's like, she's interesting because then, you know, like syncretically, the way that she's linked to, I guess it's Mami Wada is what I've gathered. Um, who is, I mean, similarly, she's always, Martha's always got the dragon underneath her foot, and Mami mm -hmm. friends with the snake, but it's, it's interesting, the whole St. Martha, and then, like, St. Martha's a dominator kind of yes. situation. <laughs> but, yeah, it's funny, too, because if you call one of them, I feel like they both come. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, it's almost like part of your job like in practice to not to treat them separately even though like you could get both you know yeah yeah there it's yeah we thought about we celebrated her feast last night and we thought about like how it was perfect that we were gonna talk to you and your first name is martha and then like oh great and that like it all lined up but then when you sent your topics originally and um, and I like started reading up about stuff. I was reading um, in the Golden Legend about St. Augustine being such an ascetic, like during the eclipse, which is a K2 South Node eclipse where like K2 is so ascetical. And then the next entry is um, in the Golden Legend is about the beheading of St. John. So it was like perfect. Like, oh, the, wow. You know, like the snake, like K2 is the snake like the serpent right. head cut off who's an ascetic. I was like, oh, this is yeah. like on the day of the That's eclipse. Awesome. So I was like, oh, perfect, you know? Yeah, yeah. And also just shout out to St. Martha because, um, I mean, she's not necessarily, we're not as close as me and Augustine, but she's, she's been there. She's cool. Yeah. Yeah, she's cool lady. you want to explain what you work with St. Martha for a little bit? Well, I do. I do you think she's very helpful in um, letting go of habits? If you think of this like dragons within yourself and kind of being able to subdue them, I found it, I found her very helpful for that and just providing for the house and the basic needs, but plus some, um, I really, just have a great love for her. I can't describe it um, properly. Yeah, it's like, like you have enough. to go into poetry mode to, yeah. to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and she also is such a truly, I mean, she really will help women in kind of any situation. I found like she, she's not, she's not a spirit you necessarily have to like butter up to, to get her assistance. She's no She's no St. Expedite. <laughs> she's going to eat a yeah, yeah. pound cake at the end. But she'll just kind of come and help. Um, and, yeah, I think she's she's a real presence, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think you kind of get, like, I mean, I don't I don't personally work with her, but Bonnie does, so I observe it. Um, 
like the results of it is like it's kind of like that strength card kind of thing where like um mm. you're not doing like you're not necessarily doing like directed sorcery for like like you know like a concentrating on a sigil for this one result that you want but like the the like the practice and ongoing in general just starts to make your life work out you know like yeah dear you know that she just kind of seems like she gets which to be honest we should we should all be doing more magic like that yeah yeah we should all be doing a little more subtle magic to get your life to work a little better because everything is yeah, I mean, it's very interesting doing that kind of, like, you know, the difference between the sort of, like, results-based approach or this sort of, um, you know, offerings and and prayers approach. Um, I think they're both, yeah, that kind of more subtle way is sort of more effective sometimes. Yeah, I think it's, like, a good, I'm doing, like, a class on this next week on, like, magical practice basics where you're just, like, if you have like these six or seven things that you do ongoingly, you can just put whatever magical tradition on that you want to run just on top of that. And, you know, like, but this, that basic stuff that just makes your life work better, like can, like we were talking about how like the astrology is kind of poor right now. So all those practices mm. still stand, you know, like you're still like going to carry. Right. Through, of course. You know, without yeah. having good, like, um, astrological leverage to like do yeah things that are kind of going to keep you on the boat like when the when the ocean gets rocky yeah no i mean for me i'm i mean i'm going tomorrow morning to my ancestral home which is um this this house that was built by my great grandparents and which um it's just been this sort of refuge space for my family especially the the women in my family there are a lot of women in my family um my mom has three sisters so um, yeah, it's like this, this house that, um, I mean, it's a whole saga, I could go into it, but really, like, you know, when my mom and, and my dad first split, um, we moved from Texas to Pennsylvania. My mom, my brother, and I all lived in the attic of this house. Long story short, um, we eventually, um, my mom basically inherited this house, and, um, you know, for someone who grew up, I mean, we, we kind of moved a lot. We never really had a, a really kind of um, stable situation when I was a kid. Um, so it was really just this this house that had kind of always been there for our family. And when I go back there and I do magic in that house, it's just, you know, both my, my great-grandparents died in the room that I stay in. And it's just like such a, such a beautiful, every time I go there, it's just like my life gets better from there, which is so beautiful. Yeah, like it's just automatic, like... I think like performing magic where um, you grew up or where your folks live or um, in your grandparents' house or whatever, I, I've definitely noticed like those are like some of the strongest um, workings you'll like. Yeah. And it's almost oh. like, I just feel selfish. Like I think my mom wants to leave this town and I wouldn't want to live in that town either. But then I'm just like, don't sell the house. Like the house is just so special. It's like living living being some some respects yeah totally yeah and it's weird i know i don't know if everyone experiences this but so much of my dreams no matter what the situation is it just takes place in either my parents house or my grandmother's house you know that like you're like yeah well if that's where it's going on in like in the dream realm or in the spirit world or whatever then Mm -hmm. like then that's where the magic 
like how is like should be situated you know totally totally yeah i mean i haven't even made any kind of magical plans for my trip i feel like i'm just gonna maybe like light a candle and pray or something but it's definitely yeah i think it's it's always interesting those links and and sort of i mean yeah and i think just going back to what we were talking about with with just sort of like these practices that are sort of your go-to no matter the astrological weather I mean, for me, you know, always got a altar to my family. Um, my grandmother almost, she just got really sick, and I thought she was going to die a couple weeks ago, or really close, and, like, I just was like, bam, like, lit that candle. Yeah, totally. <laughs> on the altar, and was like, please, like, let her pull through, you know, and she got bacterial, um, oh, my God, what is it called? She, Yeah, she got a bacterial infection, and um, then she had a heart attack, and she's, she got out of the hospital. She's, like, fine. She's 94. I'm well, like, all right, thank, thank you <laughs> answering the prayers. Yeah, awesome. Got to, like, at least see her one more time, so. Yeah, that's definitely the that's definitely the first thing on the list with the Magical Basics course that I was going to do is, like, ancestors, you know, like, and fam- yeah, no. living family, too. Some people have, like, a hard relationship with their family and with their ancestors they don't want anything to do with it and it's like yeah you can look at it abstractly like I've talked to someone about um this that I don't know if it's I haven't read it anywhere but it really feels like your mother's 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 mother like that far back has maybe like something happens there that they have the ability to just represent the matriarchal line in general. Yeah, yeah. No, I got some graveyard dirt from my mother's 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 mother. Um, <laughs> she is. Uh, yeah, I have. I went into her grave and and I met her, lit a candle, did some divination. I paid for some graveyard dirt and I use it around. And it is like. I mean, it's also interesting because it's like. I mean. <laughs> I don't know how much this relates, but just I'm, you know, an antinatalist basically. And, um, and one of the biggest reasons I just think about it, it's like you have children and suddenly like five generations later, you're still getting called back to pull favors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like karmically tied forever. Like yeah. I just think about that, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Cause, um, cause I mean, yeah, it's like talking to someone who might be adopted uh, say who maybe doesn't know about their ancestry but I think you can still you I mean your ancestors know who you are so if you leave something for them even if you don't know much about them if you just kind of start to work with them they're sort of bound to help you um really yeah and totally. um I mean I think that they like to I like to think that they <laughs> I like to think that they like to um I hope that they <laughs> like to well you're the- but I think that they they will for you're, sure. you're their progeny so you're the one that still has like hands and you know like you're physically manifest and you have their you. karma too i mean you're yeah. you're perfecting their karma like mm. you know I, I i have a kind of you know sort of i guess difficult relationship with with um one of my parents and it's always interesting to just think of that in in terms of uh something that that my reader that I was talking about earlier said to me was like, well, you just have to think about the fact that like you are sort of your parents' unrealized ambitions and you just are sort of here to sort of perfect their karma as well. And it's true. We really just have to take the best of 
the past and try to sort of alchemize that into sort of, yeah, trying to realize, um, you could say, the great work or just sort of these higher goals and higher ambitions and sort of transcend the challenges a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Like it's one of the couple like continuums that you hearken back to that you're just like, well, I'm just working for this thing, you know? Totally, totally. Um, so I was curious about the cards that you might have pulled. Oh, yeah. Um, uno momento, por favor. Yeah, yeah. And not on there, so I got to stabilize them with a, um, some some weights so I can check them out. They're really positive, to be honest. So that's good. Yeah, I think I think astrologically, a lot of it's looking up. Like if you know, it already feels better. Yeah, totally. After Friday. Yeah, we could really feel, um, you know, with the sun and rulership, like you can really feel it on the planet's day. Like Sundays are great, you know. Mm -hmm. Like. Yeah. No, it's great. Um. So. So yeah, I mean, it's weird because I don't do a lot of uh, kind of, I mean, I guess I don't do a lot of kind of generalized tarot. I think it's such a personal thing, but I was thinking when I, when I pulled these cards just about, um, I guess about what, what um, people could kind of look forward to in the month in terms of the astrology. So kind of trying to tie the cards to a different interpretation of what might be going on collectively for everybody. Um, so of course it's general, but, um, yeah, I, I just did a very simple spread, which is the past, present, and future. Um, and then I like to pull these four cards that is sort of like, um, desires, needs, um, things to know and advice to take. Mm -hmm. Um, so I will just kind of go through with the cards that I pulled. Um, it's the six of swords, the queen of wands. Uh, the Magician, um, the Ace of Cups, the Knight of Wands, the King of Cups, and the Knight of Swords. So, yeah, I mean, really, to me, I feel like this is going to be a a really, um, I think despite all of the sort of fiery tendencies, there's a lot of beauty on the way. Um, I think with that kind of solar element creeping in, um, there's going to be this sort of strengthening of will um, and selfhood. Um, it, it seems also like a really good time to sort of uh, step step forward boldly into sort of the challenges that you're facing, um, and and sort of be aware that that things are are indeed um, at least emotionally going to lighten up a little bit. I think it's going to be a, a little bit sweeter this month than last this coming August. So. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, definitely like looking at the astrology, like you said, with the beauty, it's like Venus is going to be in rulership too. And so you get a lot of these aspects that um, with like what's going on with the sun and Leo and then Mercury, like retrograde in Leo and then turning around stationing and going direct. And just mm -hmm. when I was writing the forecast, like I'll like doing it for the whole month, I'll realize stuff like phrases just repeating over and over but coming from different planets and you're like okay yeah this is getting really supported right that whole yeah. like that boldness that you mentioned and character mm -hmm. and character analyzation and 
with the as with like um with things that are like connecting with Jupiter, aspecting with Jupiter, Jupiter in, in Scorpio being like the, mm -hmm. um, like that, like in the second decon being like that really intense engagement between people when you're in a real intense, like interaction with someone that, you know, like, and then you're these two different characters, but that Ven but Ven meanwhile, Venus is in um, Libra. So there's that like, equilibrium and diplomacy that like charm and poise like that's brought to the whole thing so it was this kind of really interest it was like light and interesting but you know it's like a lot of um heavy topics might still be on the table which is like obvious yeah. from like the state of the world right you know but like and, yeah 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 and the state of where people are at because saturn and capricorn is like a saturn return for everybody collectively you know we're all having a intense saturn time and so there's a lot of like, there's a lot of heavy stuff being mm -hmm. discussed, but like that, like ability to like discuss it in a charming way. And like, yeah, seeing the Ace of Cups and the, the Knight of Wands together instantly, you're just like, avoid overly heavy topics, approach <laughs> yeah. the world with a sense of lightness and fun and like run into things. It's like, seems more like a time to sort of try to enjoy yourself rather than to necessarily figure it out. At least for me, looking at these cards, that's what I'm, the kind of vibe I'm getting. Yeah, that makes total sense. Like what we were saying about, since the astrology is kind of whacked out, that you have to go into a period of kind of like, how we were saying it's more of a time for witchcraft than astrological magic. Like you have to- Definitely. You have to like em embody and engage the body and like root your experience in the body and kind of just like let that imprint like fall into yourself to like, have it make sense in a non-analytical manner, you know? Yeah. And I mean, also just looking at these cards, what comes to my mind is if you've been struggling this summer with levity a little bit like I have, I think it's going to be a good time to get your mojo back. Um, I mean, there's a lot of mojo in these cards, so. Yeah. I mean, I definitely see that with Mars, with Mars stationing in exaltation is definitely people mm -hmm. there people are going to get their swagger back like yeah. later in the month yeah. and be like oh damn i'm like i'm really i'm awesome like i'm the man like i'm really competent you know what i mean yeah yeah knight of wands king of cups yeah 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 I'm totally like, mm, sounds fun to me yeah yeah i'm like traveling a bit this week going home as i said and then i'm coming back and going camping with somebody and i'm just super excited to um well, I have some time off this summer, which is wonderful, and just kind of enjoying that. And sort of like, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to like getting my mojo back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've definitely felt the mojo back shift for sure. We we definitely like ran into that last night. Maybe Saint Martha awesome. helped with yeah. that. You're we like, oh, there. Hell it is. yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, I feel like we could go on forever, but we should probably let you go soon i'm really really curious sure. the like goisha and true crime angle but i don't know if like we'll that, get but... to it another time yeah yeah but that's like um yeah, yeah no i love i love it's like wow where can i connect those two my two biggest passions i actually am on a break from true crime right now because i got a little too obsessed with murder for the past year and i'm like all right time to cleanse my mind yeah. <laughs> of these dubious details because I'm thinking too much about this. But um, yeah, I mean, before you go, I actually I have a question for you if you would like to answer it. Sure. Um, 
because I think this might be relevant to other people that are listening, possibly. Um, what would you say, people, uh, if if you haven't done magical work with someone before and you're just kind of starting that relationship, I mean an individual, not anybody, but how how do you go about kind of forging a magical relationship with somebody new? Like, what kind of things do you do? I guess that, it doesn't totally relate to our conversation, but I was like... I bet you know a good answer to this. With so. another person, like teaming up with someone, you mean? Yeah, like how do you go about, like what are the kind of steps you personally take when you're when you're beginning to work with someone new magically? I guess like kind of like um, kind of going way off book, you know, like just kind of like mm-hmm. design, designing some rituals together that like kind of like we've done about like 10 years ago, we moved rurally to Maine like and kind of really like wanted to keep like a big distance from um from the scene you know and kind of got Mm -hmm. more into reading like uh you know like romantic literature than than keeping up like the occult you know and kind of like Uh in the last few years kind of started tuning back into what the official occult world was talking about but in that interim we like designed our our whole own kind of like methodology that was really involved. Um, and I, a lot that like brought a lot of people together that didn't practice in the same. Are these your ceremonies that, that I've heard people talk about? Yeah. Yeah. But that was like a way to really like find out how people work or like what, how, how people fit into like a magical kind of operation together without trying to like, to like use a, something so scripted is just kind of, yeah. you know, to design it to design something with someone else that is like organic you know and go through the process and from there you can probably start picking up like other things that you want to work with that you're just like oh I'm also interested in this and interested in this like I'm interested in talismans or I'm interested in mm-hmm. like necromancy but so doing something completely kind of off book and organic first would probably be I think that would be the way to go. Perfect. And when you sit down and you design a ritual, do you sit down and you say, what are our mutual aims? Or do you just kind of like, I don't know, arrive at something? Well, I guess we were like really, um, got really into like bioregionalism and pastoralism. And so we just were like, we just got really like focused on the seasons, you know, and Mm -hmm. just, it kind of, we were really aware of trying to not be neo-pagan, you know, like that wasn't yeah, what yeah. it was about. It was, but it was closer to witchcraft, but without calling it witchcraft or, or, or like, um, or like referencing anything from, from that culture. It's like, we just kind of turned all the, all that off and just did our own thing, mm-hmm. you know, but like uh, the looking right at, at the seasonal cycle, like without even thinking about it too much astrologically is just like, the rituals sort of build themselves just by like interacting mm-hmm. with like ephemera that's mm-hmm. around you and like just like uh following chains of synchronicities and stuff beautiful well thank you so much for having me on and talking to me about all these interesting subjects i'm certainly feeling inspired and and like learning more yeah thanks, thanks likewise. For, yeah yes, likewise thank definitely you. like we have we obviously could talk forever so we should yeah come to new york city and we'll talk we should uh, talk or teach a workshop or something totally absolutely 
Okay, well, thanks very much. Yeah, have a wonderful day, you too. Thank you again. Thank you.